we do. Every single Saturday on these airwaves. My name's Casey Steve, the voice of your valley. On Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. That's for you, Marilyn. Every single Saturday, we try to bring you some original content on these airwaves. Here it is, August 8th, 2020. It's going to be a nice weekend. Hopefully the weather won't be too hot. It was nice this weekend, or this week, I'll tell you, down in the low, uh, low 90s, the upper 80s. It was just absolutely wonderful. Of course, we're in the middle of the uh, getting ready to harvest. I think here pretty soon they're shaking the nuts out of the trees. And as I teased folks last week, we're going to have a special guest, a candidate. As you know, it's the election season. Filing period closed yesterday here in the county of Merced for those people seeking elective office. If you're an incumbent and decide not to run, I understand there's another week, maybe 10 days. That's not the situation with the gentleman I have on the phone. The incumbent has decided to run. Matter of fact, he's been he's been running for 25 years. But we're talking none other than uh, the incumbent Jim Costa and his his uh, opponent in the Democratic excuse me the District 16 congressional race, District 16, which represents us, is none other than Kevin Cookingham. Kevin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's great being here. Oh, good that we have a level here on you. Yeah, I've tell you, we're, we're both going to get to know each other because I was teasing Kevin before the show. He's not supposed to be here, even though he was scheduled. It, it's supposed to be Esmeralda Soria, if everybody can go all the way back to March, pre-COVID. I know it's a long time, but, uh, and, and really, I don't know how you feel about that. Can I call you Kevin? Absolutely. I don't know how you feel about that, Kevin, but you know, we had the first time ever the March primary instead of the June primary. And uh, you were lucky, I think, as everybody was, to have a quote-unquote normal campaign season compared to now. What do you think? Yeah, we've really had to change things around with strategies and how we're doing things, which I I don't talk about too much on uh, radio, only because I think we kind of need to keep it uh, uh, under the radar. But I'll tell you, we have uh, a great group of people, and we're truly excited about this race. I have a lot of people working with me that are absolutely passionate about this race and passionate to get this country back, the state back uh, from uh, some of these far-left people that are just destroying California and also get this nation back from people that are supporting lawlessness and uh, just going very far left towards socialism and other areas. Yeah, the defund movement, some of this uh, redirecting of funds, and then, of course, taxation, which is some of your platforms. But let me just introduce folks to you. You're uh, not much older than myself, graduated in 76, up there, uh, or down, I guess, i got to get my directions right here, lived in Southern California so long, but you're down in the Fresno area. But yeah, I went to Clovis High School, graduated there in 76, I was involved in uh, sports there, and then uh, went on, uh, I went to a few different colleges, uh, wrestled at UCLA, that was many years ago when they had a wrestling team, they, they stopped it a long time ago, but I uh, did that for a year until my shoulder gave out, and then graduated from Fresno State. Yeah, and I was really interested that you are interesting that you uh, took a career path in education. Yeah, it kind of uh, surprised me too. I, I went back. I have a mentor friend of mine that we talked for quite a while, and and I ended up going into marriage, family, child counseling uh, for my graduate work. And part of that was uh, completing my what's called a PPS credential, pupil personnel services credential, which allows you to be a high school counselor. And so Clovis High counseled me, or uh, actually hired me. Uh, my first job in education, I think I was around 30, 
uh, and it was to deal with AODA issues, and that stands for alcohol and other drug abuse issues. And my role was to uh, work with students who were having problems, and, and it was a confidential program where I could uh, uh, spend time with them and hopefully get them back on track. Well, and you mentioned the Clovis uh, School District, and I'll tell you, I have been a big fan and have talked about on my show many times about not only the success stories coming out of Clovis Unified, but the Clovis Online platform. Yes. And you had a lot to do with that, as I found out, which is very interesting because I'm a big uh, supporter of that, and it went from 12 students to over 500, I guess, when you left. Yes. And my question is, what's to prevent something like that in the age of COVID, in the age of distance learning, if that is the way it must be done, from teaching 55,000 kids? Yeah, well, I will tell you this. You know, schools kind of specialize in different areas. And so Clovis Online had started a couple years before I, I got there. And uh, they were, it, it was just... Uh, well, I, want to, I don't want to say too much about my concerns with it, but let's just say we did a 180-degree turn. And the great thing about it is I had a person that worked with me on that campus, and we had, had the same goals. And that goal was to treat the Clovis Online School like a business. In other words, to treat students as clients and, and to look at them that we wanted to serve our clients and give them the best education possible. And when you have great teachers and great support staff and great leadership on a campus, it can't help but grow, and so it did. It, uh, uh, it grew from 12 students that returned, and actually we're, uh, uh, this year they've had to actually stop enrollment. There's 100 people on the waiting list because uh, we just can't take anymore. I'm still involved a bit with the school, with uh, the marketing of the school. So, uh, but it's, it's, it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of students that uh, they just don't fit well into the comprehensive schools. You know, they just, you know, they go to these schools that have 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 students, and they just don't fit well into those and you have some students that have some anxiety issues and other things going on. So I would say just a guesstimate, somewhere around 7-8% of students uh, do better, actually, at some of these charter schools and online schools. And we have a great uh, uh, platform there at our online school as far as curriculum called Edgenuity. And parents can follow right along. They know what the students are learning. They know how much time is being spent. And if, if kids turn on a program and then they leave, it'll say uh, inactive time. So they, you have to be actively involved with the uh, programs and uh, the training and, and the education. And they have a wonderful relationship with their teachers. And we've had parents that actually bring their kids in every day, and there's computers in front of each teacher's desk. They can sit there, do their work. Uh, and so it, it, it has been an extremely successful school. Well, you know, as I hear you talking about this, it sounds like you've invented the wheel and I hear so many school districts here in our own county, we have 21, and they are at a loss. They've delayed the start of the school uh, semester starting for a week. They're still getting the teachers trained. There's ongoing labor negotiations going on. They don't know, you know, what to do. Why can't we mirror some of the things that Clovis has done in the current situation? Do you find that frustrating at all? Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to make a general statement here, and, and it may not apply to everybody, but I think we need to think differently. And when I say think differently, we need to think about if this was my business, if this was my livelihood, if I didn't make a salary, if this didn't go well and we didn't serve our client well, uh, what would I do differently? And because, and you know, it's one thing to teach somebody something. It's another thing where they actually learn that. 
and we have to be passionate about how are we going to best uh, make sure that our students are learning what needs to be learned, and they're supported in that, and they're motivated in that. And, uh, you know, anybody can just teach a lesson, but it takes a, a certain type of person to really uh, motivate and get in, in, inside kids' heads and, and spend time with them and, and uh, you know, just be, a, just be a regular person where there's respect, but at the same time a real motivator. And so uh, I just really think we kind of need to, to you know, uh, think out of the box in those areas, and there's a lot of different things that we can do. But I will tell you this, we already had the path set for Clovis Online School. It's very difficult for a teacher that has never done that before to all of a sudden they say, hey, guess what, you're going to start teaching online, and they've never done it, and they don't have a good curriculum platform. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough uh, tough thing to do. And so, uh, there are, like Clovis, they said, hey, if you want to go to school, you send your kid to school. If you don't, you don't have to. You, they can do it all online. So there's about 80-20 split. About 80% want to send their kids to school. The trouble is the governor shut it down. Yeah. And so, uh, and I, I was so excited that Clovis did that. I actually called a few people and texted them and said, hey, good move on that. Put it back on the parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, this COVID deal is not affecting kids like it's affecting the elderly. No. And uh, if there's some elderly staff, then let's work with that. But uh, uh, I, I'm sad that this governor has kind of turned into a dictator and uh, is really, I believe, doing a lot of harm to students. Well, I agree, and I would think most of the counties in the districts you want to in the district you want to represent are suffering now with the gover- governor's yeah. edict. And again, I'm not trying to get away from in-person classes. I think that is the most important yeah. way to go because of the socialization, the mental health issues, that sort of thing. I was talking to one of the school districts. They said, "Well, we're still going to have people on site in case the kids need counseling," and I'm sure they will, but. It, in person would be the the way to go, but I was just very impressed that Clovis and Clovis Online, that school district, has got many accolades. Uh, they do a great job of promoting their district, and I was just wanting to highlight to folks that you were a big part of that online program. Well, I had I had a lot of great people working with me, so and a lot of leadership that supported what I was doing. So I, I appreciate that. And you live in the district, I take it. You know, I do. I live in the 16th District. I actually moved to the 16th District. We, we live in Madeira uh, and have great people there in Madeira. And uh, so I, I, I specifically moved there so that when this w- race is won, uh, which is what I'm focused on, uh, I can be right there in Madeira and have an office there and get right on 99 to where I can go uh, zip right down to Merced and then out to the west to uh, Dos Palos and Los Banos. And then, of course, in 12 or 15 minutes, I can be right in Fresno. So it kind of puts me right in the middle of things, and uh, uh, I, I, I love that. Yeah, it's a big area. Yes, and you is. And you have kind of a farming, uh, agricultural background, you were in, indicated? Yes. I, I, had a, I had a guy talk to me and say, well, you need to talk about your farming. And I said, well, you know, it's like six acres. So I grew <laughs> up on a six-acre ranch, which is, you, you, can't, you can't live on six acres. It was just a little uh, six acres my parents had of... Uh, Vineyard, uh, Thompson Seedless, we had the raisins, and we'd uh-huh. go through with the tractor and pick up all the raisins and run them through the, the uh, there was like a roller thing that would take off the stems. And, but the, the, the great thing as a kid is that gave me enough land where I could uh, raise day-old calves and turkeys and chickens and chuckers and pheasants and just about anything. I, I raised pigs. I remember at one time I had 38 pigs. And uh, so it, 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 just, it was just a wonderful amount of land to where you could raise every kind of animal, and, and uh, kids love raising animals. Yeah, they do. I was... Uh in 4-H myself, and it was a great thing. I, I was on three acres, and it seemed like a lot of land when I had to mow it or do work on it. So, <laughs> That's right. 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's it's really a great area that we live in, and we do have an ag background. And I love the saying, "Where water flows, food grows." Absolutely. You know, uh, we talked about you not being here, kind of tongue in cheek, and what we were getting around to was the primary, a jungle primary in California, as we know. And again, this year we had it in March. We were lucky to get it in. Who knows what would have happened in June? But everybody seemed to think that, uh, and I think people have forgot her name, but Esmeralda Soria, she's a councilwoman. I still believe she's a councilwoman. Yes. There in Fresno and kind of uh, bit the hand that fed her, or at least endorsed her, by throwing her hat into the ring against Mr. Costa, which I think was a surprise to Jim. Yeah. And uh, again, the jungle primary, uh, a lot can be said for or against it. But I think what it did... And I hope it gives you an opportunity to ultimately succeed. But you you were successful in that. But talk a little bit about some of the, if you want to, some of the things you saw, what you learned in the primary, and some of the tactics that were used against uh, Jim's opponent yeah. and what may be used against you. Yeah, well, you know, what Jim did uh, on his commercials is he took positive comments that Esmeralda had made about him in previous elections or previous times where she said, you know, Jim's doing a great job, and he took all those comments from her and then put them in a commercial, and then at the end said, well, I approve this message, and so he kind of used her <laughs> comments that were positive uh, to kind of what some people might think, and I'm not saying this, but some people have said this to me, stab her in the back with mm-hmm. her own comments. Right. And so uh, I do think there are a lot of people that voted for Esmeralda uh, that are a little upset about that, and I'm, I don't think there's any guarantee that those that voted for Esmeralda are going to vote for Jim Costa in this uh, general election. And so uh, that's kind of what happened there. Jim spent about $860,000 in the primaries. I spent $60,000, wow. and he beat me by, by one percentage point. So that, that is I was ahead pretty much all the time until the very end where they found a bunch of, uh, uh, well, I don't know. Well, hey. Them, but they, they got, found, found some more votes, and he went up uh, by about one uh, percentage well, you know, we can ask uh, Johnny uh, Teixeira about finding votes. <laughs> they found a whole satchel out there in Tranquility a few uh, cycles ago. Hey, look, we're out of the first segment of Citizen Watch. They go fast. We have uh, with us Kevin Cookingham, candidate for Congressional District 16, our very own Congressional District. You never see our her representative now. I'm sure you'll see Kevin if he's elected. But we're going to see him right after the break. Stick with us. Citizen Watch, Saturday morning. I'm Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. Stick with us. Saturday morning. Don't stop till you get enough. Citizen Watch. That's right. I'm Casey Steve, the voice of your valley on Reset's News Talk. 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. And with us, with us we have a candidate, Congressional District 16, Kevin Cookingham. He's never uh, ran for office, and so he's never won an office, but he is going for it. In division, uh, I got D16 down here. I should have just wrote it out. District 16. Of course, Jim Costa, he's been in the saddle over there since 2005, my friends. And you look around. I don't know how it is in Madera or Fresno County. Of course, Jim used to <laughs> Jim used to uh, represent just a little further south 
And then they did some redrawings of the districts. And believe me, they weren't very happy with them the further south you go. Uh, I don't know if people remember the old cotton trailers, anybody but Costa stealing our water. He wasn't a big friend of ag. Wasn't a big friend of ag. Has always been a real loyal Democrat. We were talking uh, to Kevin about the primary and some of the shenanigans that went on with Esmeralda Soria, the candidate, one of the candidates uh, that was opposing Jim in the primary. And there were some more things that were gone. You know, there, I don't know, Kevin, uh, I don't know if you remember some of the ads uh, with the boyfriend or husband of Esmeralda in, in there. Do you remember those? I do. Yeah. yeah and, that was, and, and let me tell you, folks, there were some subtle, very subtle innuendos there that I don't even want to get into right now, especially in light of everything that's going on. But let me tell you, Jim's no novice. And uh, Kevin has really got a road to hoe. Again, I give him a lot of credit for throwing his hat into the ring to doing things. Let's get into some of the issues. Again, we talked about his education here in the San Joaquin Valley and continuing that with helping local education in Clovis Unified School District. Clovis Online, a success story in its own right. You can't help but watch those. I want to go back to school when I watch a Clovis Online commercial. And uh, I know it's tough. Education, everybody would like to get back into the classrooms. COVID, we could talk about COVID for days, but let's talk about when we get back into uh, when we get back into the, the economy. Yeah. What should we do? Jobs are really are really. Uh, we've seen some improvement on the jobs horizon. This this uh, jobs report, but still not anywhere that we need to be. It's almost as if the governor is keeping us shut down until the election. And I, I don't know how it's where you are, but small business is really suffering. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, part of uh, what I did, I was actually principal of two schools at the same time. One was Clovis Online, one was Clovis Adult School. And uh, one of the things that we did extremely well at Clovis Adult School is position people for success. So uh, we had career tech education programs. So uh, we call them CTE, career mm-hmm. technical education programs, right. in health uh, areas uh, such as nursing and then business areas. And uh, most of our students were from low economic backgrounds. They had very little uh, financial means. Uh, we, uh, they came to our school. We found them grants because grants you do not have to pay back. So we found federal grants like Pell Grants and uh, Cal, uh, uh, Cal Works Grants and and uh, Department of Rehab grants, so they wouldn't have to pay those back. They weren't loans. And we, uh, they went to the classes, and uh, they passed their state exams, and then we, uh, we showed them the direction and kind of hooked them up with different job opportunities. In our health uh, programs, we had about a 99% success rate, getting people through school and uh, into jobs. So we, uh, the, the, the big thing here is you know, we may, people may have to reposition themselves. That's a big, that's an important thing. You don't just go out and find this great job. You may have to learn welding, or you may have to learn electrical, uh, become an electrical apprentice, or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's literally hundreds of classes that are community colleges, that are adult schools, that are pretty much free. And uh, so that's a, that's a big deal. And we can take that same success that we saw at Clovis Adult in the job market uh, and getting people ready for good jobs and uh, carry that throughout the 16th district. I, I know that before the pandemic started, before COVID started, 
this nation was experiencing a 3.5% unemployment rate. That, that, that is the envy of the world, mm-hmm. 3.5%. Yet in the 16th district, according to Ballotpedia, we were at 16.9% unemployment. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I, I go to uh, oh, Merced, Natwater, and those towns around Merced County all the time, and I know every time I get on the freeway, there are just many, many, and along the, the river there, there's just tons of homeless. Yes. And uh, so we've got a lot of issues we've got to deal with, but we've got to pull our community colleges, our adult schools, our social services together because they're the ones that manage people that do not have jobs, uh, and then, of course, uh, hook them up and t- tie them up with job opportunities. And I believe we can, uh, we can bring that unemployment rate way down if we just incorporate the strategies we did at Clovis Adult School. Well, I agree with you, and I think we both agree that education is the key. And yeah. we look at some of the industries around here, agriculture, uh, you know, very high-tech nowadays with drones, machine vision, different uh, automation processes going on, the, the science behind better production. It's not, uh, it's, 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 it's a very, very high-tech industry, and I think we need to keep up on that. And when we talk about career technical education, you have to have a career. You have to have somewhere to go to a job, and so attracting employers to the area is very important, and that gets that down to taxation. What do you think of some of the taxation here in, in California? And if you were a congressman on the federal side, how would you try to streamline things so people would, would want to relocate to the Valley? Yeah, well, you know, um, one of the biggest roles that I see as a congressman is influencing and trying to influence areas that maybe you're not directly in control of. So obviously everybody knows congressman, it's a federal position, but my role is to support, my primary role is to support those in the 16th district, period. And so whether it's through jobs, whether it's through fighting against uh, uh, what's going on in Sacramento with all of the regulations and the taxes, I'm telling you, I have had more people that I know already move out of state. In fact, I have uh, some friends that I went to school with that I graduated, uh, he's a year behind me at Clovis High. They have four different businesses in this state, and they're out right now going to other states trying to figure out what state we're going to relocate in. And when you lose your uh, businesses, when you lose the people that are out there working hard, long days, uh, making money, hiring people, you're losing the, the goose that laid the golden egg. And 1% of the taxpayers in California pay 50, almost 50% of all the taxes in California. And, and people have had it. They've just said, I've had enough. I'm not doing this anymore. And I really believe uh, Governor Newsom and, and uh, the far-left people that are running this state, we've got to get them voted out, or we will lose everything in this state. If you don't have a tax base, and when I say a tax base, not a high tax base, if people leave because they're paying too much in taxes, you will lose everything. And so we've got to bring down taxes. We've got to bring down uh, regulation. I've probably built maybe eight or nine homes myself where I've been owner-builder and, you know, done for for investment or to sell. And my last two or three homes that I built, before I got my first contractor out there, which would be my cement people, my uh, rough plumbing people like that, I had already spent thirty-two, thirty-three thousand mm-hmm. dollars on fees, assessments, and taxes. It's yes. insane. No, it really is. One thing I didn't share with you: I'm a C10, so I understand it's uh, it's tough out there just yep. to try to make a dollar. But like you say, before you even sink a shovel in the ground, yep. thirty to fifty thousand dollars school fees, this and that. Let alone the uh, CFDs, what we used to affectionately call mellow roos every year on tax bills. It's just. It's the death of a thousand cuts, and when you talk about killing the golden goose, you're exactly right, because 
it's kind of scary when you think that point uh, a percent is paying over 50%. And when you really get down to it, it's like 0.8 pay a, a big percentage. Yeah. And it wouldn't take many of those to leave to really feel some impact. Oh, it, 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 would, it would be incredible if just a few of the, the big, big uh, corporations left. I, I was talking to my nephew the other day, and he was at a school where the teacher was uh, bemoaning the evil uh, big corporations in California. I said, that teacher will never do more than these corporations are doing because these corporations are hiring people, paying them a living wage. Many of them are helping pay for their uh, health care, and they're paying for their uh, mortgage and everything else like that. And they're doing more for people than that one teacher will ever do. These businesses are wonderful for this state, and the left constantly demonizes uh, people that uh, make money. And, they, you know, they didn't make that money. They didn't build those roads. They did you know, quit demonizing people that work so hard they are what this state is all about. It's foundational uh, to the growth of the state and the livelihood of the people in this state. And America. Because Absolutely. When we talk about free enterprise, the, the private uh, industry, private enterprise, it, it's uh, the, the capitalistic system. All of these things are being, uh, you know, propagandized to, to be yep. bad. And this yep. is the basis of our country. And again, when you start attacking these people through endless regulation and then taxation, they're people just like you and I. Corporations are people. They're owned by stockholders. And a lot of these same folks that complain uh, their 401ks and retirement depend on it. Yep. It's really hypocritical when we see the pension plans that are funded by these uh, programs. They want to disvest from uh, investments that make a lot of money just to take a political stand, and yet they want to bail out from the taxpayer when they're short. Yep. So it, it really gets what you talk about, Kevin, Kevin Cookingham, a congressional district 16 opponent to Jim Costa. What you talk about is an ideology. And the ideology of, you know, kill the rich, tax the rich, the rich are bad, is, is something that's is become more prevalent. I won't say it's a, it's a predominant force in America, but certainly here in California where you see legislature after legislature with a D behind their name. And on the federal side, when they talk about the tax cuts that were given by President Trump and how those will be the, on the first day, those will be rescinded and a gift to the rich. The rich are the ones that pay the bills. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I went and spoke twice, I think I mentioned earlier, I, I spoke twice to the Atwater City Council about uh, opening up businesses. And before I spoke, uh, people can write in comments. And there were 29 comments that had been written into the City Council that all had to be read before people that were present could talk. And I know, I, I, I figured out that they had, uh, many of these people had talked before they wrote in the comments, because they all had the same term. It was mm -hmm. almost like watching mainstream media, and they used the same term. And they were using the term, please don't put profits over people. Mm -hmm. And what they were saying is, don't open businesses uh, with profits, because uh, you're, doing, you're, you're putting profits over people. And I said, you can't, if you don't put businesses, uh, if you don't allow them to continue in their business, mm -hmm. you are not putting people first because it's not just the people that own the businesses, which is important enough. They poured their life savings into this business. It's not just their retirement, their kids' inheritance. What about all the workers at those businesses that have, are, no longer are working at those businesses? What about the manufacturers that are supporting and supplying that business? What about those that transport to that business? And, and you could go on and on. It's a domino effect. And you can see how many lives are affected when businesses are shut down. 
if you want to support people, you better support businesses being open because that is their livelihood. Right. Just real quickly, I was going to say my father-in-law only graduated from high school. He worked for Lockheed for probably 35 years, 40 years before he retired. And, you know, I thought about that. I, I looked up how many – I don't have stock in Lockheed, so I'm not trying to sell Lockheed. But I would just tell you this, that uh, he uh, – that Lockheed basically paid for their home, their cars, their insurance, uh, schooling, uh, vacations, mm-hmm. everything for his entire life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a wonderful thing that so many of these corporations are doing for people. Yeah, and people have loyalty to the corporation because they realize it's kind of give and a take. They don't look at it as a big, bad villain out there. And there's success stories like that all along. It's just unfortunate we've pitted the worker against the corporation. And we even do that in government uh, with, with uh, you know municipal employees against the electeds. And it really puts the electeds in a tough spot. Yeah. I, you know, just that one decision alone from AOC out of New York, where she started uh, oh. demonizing Amazon. Yes. Uh, they were going to hire 25,000 people at an average salary of $150,000 a year. Yeah. And Amazon just said, see ya. We'll go no. somewhere else where we're wanted. No, so it's horrible. basically lost 25,000 jobs there. No, it's horrible. And we had... Uh we had a similar thing uh, here in Merced County years ago. We were going to get uh, a Walmart distribution center. And uh, we had folks that just vilified it because they were non-union. And, uh, you know, the trucks, this and that, just all of these specious comments, filed a lawsuit, threw them out where they didn't build the distribution center. That was 1,200 jobs, 24 oh hours a day. Wow. Yeah, and we lost it just because they were open shop, non-union. And it's that kind of thinking that has to change. Yep has to change. We're with Kevin Cookingham, Congressional Candidate District 16, trying to get him uh, introduced to our listeners here. We'll be back after this break. Citizen Watch, Saturday morning. We'll be right back. Here we are, Saturday morning, Citizen Watch. My name's Casey Steve, the voice of your valley. On Merced's News Talk, 107.3 FM, 1480 AM, KYOS. Going to do it without my listeners. Every single Saturday morning, we try to bring you some original content. August 8th, 2020. Going to be a nice weekend out there. Going to warm up a little bit, but hey, it's summer. We grow things around here. And where water flows, food grows. And with us, we have a candidate who's running for Congress, Congressional District 16 against Jim Costa, who's represented us not very well for the last uh, 15 years or so. Since 2005, he's been in the saddle over there at Congress. Before that, he was assemblyman. People may not realize that up there in the state of California. His whole political, he's what you call a political animal, my friends. He's been in, uh, he's been in Congress, uh, wheels of uh, levers of power a long time. And you have to look around and say, you know, have we got anything? Castle Air Force Base, a federal base closure over there. looks like a, I don't know, have you ever been out there, uh, Kevin? I have not. Yeah, it's our old uh, Strategic Air Command base, a SAC base. We had nuclear bombs out there, B-52s up in the sky, the Iron Dome, all of that. And when the base closings came, we were promised the night before it wasn't going to be us. And uh, it turned out it was us. And uh, unfortunately, Cardoza, some of the folks uh, couldn't help anything. But we haven't had really the re- birth of that uh, facility like we had hoped to. But again, the, the federal position is very important. Uh, we have a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth at the state level from the state water board, the Water Resources Board, an appointed body. Governor Newsom gave us a little hope when he first came in and got rid of 
Felicia. Bye-bye, Felicia, and got a new uh, director in there, but nothing's changed. Nothing's changed at all. Now, on the federal side of things, I know that, uh, I think it's uh, Noons is running a commercial, uh, Devin, where he had uh, President Trump here and talked about some federal help on water. What, what can you tell us your position is on water, and what would you do at the federal level to help us out? Yeah, first of all, we, here's the good news. Uh, Devin Nunes uh, is close to the president. And the president has a lot of power on different uh, areas. The, the problem is this, that there are so many entities that have their hands in water. And, uh, I, in fact, I just met with a guy the other day that has a lot of land in the Los Banos area, and he floods that land, and then the water goes down and percolates into the ground, and it, it, it's a, he, he does what's called water banking. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy has 700,000 acre feet of water, underneath that he could pump out to other farmers and he can't get a permit to do it mm. so you've got so many hands in this uh in this water and right now i've been doing research on how could fe- the federal government uh basically take control of some of these areas whether it's sites or temperance flat or whatever uh and actually take control of those and take it away from the state so we're doing some research into that because what's happening is uh on these projects the state has uh, continued to mislead the public Every time there's a bond, and by the way, since 2000, there have been 30 billion, with a B, and we all know what a billion is, a mm-hmm. billion is a thousand million, uh, 30 billion dollars of uh, bonds uh, for water. And what happens is everybody thinks it means we're going to build dams, that we're going to have dam storage, and that we're going to be able to help these farmers and, and bring water back to the most productive farmland in the world. California produces 50 to 55% of all fruits, nuts, and vegetables for the entire nation. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a national security issue. And, uh, and, and yet, so often, uh, they bring these bonds before people and go, yeah, we do, we do need water. And then what happens is all this water goes into bureaucracies. All this money from these bonds goes into bureaucracies, mm-hmm. and no dams ever get built. Uh, no reservoirs ever are established. And then what happens, they say, well, we, we put money in there for it. Well, it's $175 million when it costs $3 billion to build a dam. Mm-hmm. It would be like me saying to you, Casey, hey, listen, I'm going to build you a house. And uh, you said, great, let's do it. And I said, well, here's, here's $1,000. Mm-hmm. Well, $1,000 won't even pay for the permits for our house, not even close. And so uh, uh, that's what happens with these, these dams. The, these, these bonds and these propositions are extremely misleading. So we've got to do some research and see how the federal government can supersede uh, the state government on some of these lands and uh, because we've got Trump that has been to this valley three times fighting for water, and he gets sued every time the federal government uh, by, uh, actually, uh, uh, Jim Costa was behind mm-hmm. suing the federal government on these new biological opinions. Now, we know the old biological opinions didn't work. Mm-hmm. You, can, you know, you, you, you can't even find some of these uh, so-called protected species anymore. They've failed, and they failed the farmers. They failed the agriculture community. They fa- failed the people of California, and they certainly failed in their... Uh, on their, uh, you know, different environmental goals. And yet they don't want to look at the newest science uh, to try to benefit this state. No, it seems like they have an agenda that they want to promote. And the Irrigation District, our very own uh, Merced Irrigation District, has been a leader trying to, you know, again, change these opinions with their own science. And just seems to hit literally a a brick wall. And it's very, 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 very frustrating because, as you know, without water, and there's a couple of issues with water. It's interesting how one really resonates with the Democrats when they talk about safe drinking water and access for all. And they don't realize, as you talked about, when water is flowed over the land and it percolates down or intentionally is injected, 
as so often does with the irrigation district, it replenishes the aquifer yeah. so that we can drill wells and have clean drinking water, folks. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we would flood irrigate. We'd flood irrigate the vineyard. We'd flood irrigate the oranges in front of our house. And uh, uh, all that percolate, just, like, just exactly what you said, it percolates down. And our water level was about 20 feet where we were at. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's not, very little of that happens anymore. And so the, many of the farmers have had to go to drip line. And the government is providing incentives to go to drip line. And what happens is that doesn't percolate down and uh, refill the aquifers. And so, uh, you know, land is sinking and we're having a lot of issues. And they will not give the land that needs to be given or the the water that needs to be given to the farmers to recharge those systems. And they're saying, well, you've got to build these these different ponding bases and so forth to fill, uh, refill your... uh, aquifers, but then they don't provide the water for that. No, no, and we watch it run out to the ocean, which uh, I understand the need for fish and all of that, but I really think there's enough uh, with responsible impoundment and conservation that really all the needs could be met with a growing state. We haven't uh, really created any more new impoundment, and the population has really gone up. You know, when we talk about things that the feds are in control of and not in control of, and here in the state, you know, there's that uh, push and pull between the feds on the water and the Central Valley Project, those type of things, but what a lot of folks may not realize is there's usually in every town a federal building, and uh, law enforcement has really got a lot of hits lately, not only local law enforcement, what happened in Minneapolis, but also the federal law enforcement, whether it be ICE, Immigrations, Custom Enforcement, Homeland Security, you know, the scanner at the airport, uh, frisking grandma. But the federal response to some of the rioters, they're not protester folks, they're rioters, as the uh, Portland mayor called them last night, murderers, attempted murderers. What, what do you think uh, about law enforcement, how it's viewed, not only locally, but in the country? And, and what would you do as a congressman, uh, these defunding uh, legislation? Are you behind any of that? Yeah, let me just tell you right now, your listeners need to know something. I want to be extremely clear on this. I 100% support support law enforcement. And I'm telling you that what I'm seeing across this nation right now disgusts me. It absolutely infuriates me. And you've got people people in Antifa and uh, BLM, Black Lives Matter, going around and, oh, yeah, you do have some, uh, you know, passive protesting and so forth, but you've got thousands of people that are burning down buildings, looting buildings, killing people, injuring people, stopping traffic, shooting at traffic. It's absolutely insane that the left are supporting these kinds of things. The other day there was a hearing testimony and and, uh, Ted Cruz couldn't even get one of the senators to to condemn Antifa. And this this is just sickening. There have been over a thousand officers injured and I believe last count there was 18 officers that had been killed. In, uh, since this has begun, and this has to stop now. And, I'll, I, you know, it's very interesting. I, I read a lot of headlines. I read constantly to keep up on uh, what's going on around this country. And I saw a headline that said, Trump lied when he said that these most dangerous cities that are rioting are all run by Democrats. And I thought, well, he lied. So I started reading down, and they had their own study. Well, the reason they said he lied is because out of the large cities where they're having all these riots, 19 out of 20 were Democrats, instead of 20 out of 20. 19 were Democrats, and one was independent. And then they went to the smaller cities, and they said he lied about this, too, because only 17 of the 20 were Democrat, two were independent, and there was one Republican out of that. So I'm just telling you, it's the far left. And, and I want to say one other thing about this, Casey. There are a lot of good conservative Democrats that I know do not agree with this kind of leadership. I have a lot of Democrat friends that support our officers, and they're going to vote Republican this time around because they're sick 
of officers and law enforcement being demonized by these far-left people. You know, we have 680,000 police officers in this nation and almost 900,000 law enforcement altogether. And those 680,000 police officers have 58 million contacts with the public. Think about that every year. Mm -hmm. 58 million contacts every year. And out of that 58 million contacts, there are very few cases. In fact, you, you, you heard the news from the Washington Post where it's somewhere, depending on the study, between 9 and 14 unarmed black men that have been shot and killed by police, and half of those were attacking the police. Mm -hmm. So think about that. Out of 58 million contacts, uh, the number of uh, people that are truly being shot that are unarmed, and uh, I was watching Larry Elder the other day. He said he did the math on that. You have far more chance uh, if you're an unarmed black man of being hit by lightning than being shot by an officer. So it, it really bothers me. All our lives I've been taught uh, that don't judge a whole group by the actions of a few. And yet uh, these groups are going out and judging all our law enforcement by the actions of a very few people. And that, ex that just absolutely drives me nuts. Well, and it's very hypocritical when on the other side of the fence we see, quote-unquote, peaceful protesters attack officers, yes. throw uh, industrial-grade fireworks, have vans full of ammunition, uh, projectiles. Blinding them. Blinding them with lasers. And yet uh, we're not to group all of those uh, bad apples that right. do that. And so, again, uh, people's uh, minds uh, just get a little crazy there, I think. You mentioned uh, a lot of good conservative Democrats. We used to call those blue dog Democrats. Yep. They're very, very rare. Talk just a little bit about working across the aisle. Yep. I know it's, a, it's kind of a catchword. I don't mean it like it says, but we really do need bipartisan support in anything we do in yep. life. Yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of people on the Democrat side that are everyday hardworking people are seeing what's happening with uh, the defunding movement in law enforcement. They've seen how it's destroying cities. In fact, uh, some of the greatest uh, movement now within our country are people moving out of these cities into the suburbs because they say that uh, they're not being protected anymore or they're being overregulated or overtaxed. So they're moving out of these cities uh, that are run by these far-left people. So I believe there are a lot of people that are Democrats that, uh, uh, in fact, I'll just give you a quick story. I went and interviewed with the Fresno Police Officers Association, and I kept talking about the left. I said, why do you guys always endorse uh, the left, I said, uh, and, and finally, at the, when I finished, um, one guy said, he said, well, I'm a little offended that you, you're talking about the left. I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. I said, do you think we should just let everybody in this country that wants to come in this country, no border security? He said, well, no. I said, do you think that we should be able to take the lives of unborn children clear up to uh, birth? And he said, well, no. And I said, do you think our taxes, that we pay enough in taxes? He said, yes. I said, well, then you're not left. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an everyday good Democrat that is, uh, uh, knows the things that are going to harm this country. Yeah. And so, uh, so I think there are, in fact, I will tell you, a number of my volunteers are Democrats. Mm -hmm. They yeah. just said, hey, it, it, they've, uh, the leadership has gone too far, and they have. They have absolutely gone. Uh, I, I've, I've never seen so many people in leadership on the left, Democrats, run towards socialism, run towards Marxism run towards government control, and demonize the very people we should be honoring, like our law enforcement. I, I agree with you. I, it's, just, it's just amazing, just amazing to me. Well, you know, the time goes quickly. Do you have any events? How can people get in touch with you if they want to support your campaign? Yeah, as a matter of fact, right there in your area on the 15th, we're having a, a, a pulled pork. Since my last name's Cookingham, we're doing pulled pork and uh, some shooting, some skeet shooting. Uh, that's, uh, they can go to our website at Cookingham for Congress, CookinghamFORCongress.com, and they will see the event. There's a number you can call to reserve a place. It's 
uh, $25 for the, the luncheon and then also another $25 for the shooting. And uh, we do all kinds of things. So if they keep watching the website, uh, we have events. We just had an event the other day out at Wolf Lakes. There were 300 people there. Uh, and so we have things going on all the time. I'm always in the Merced area going to uh, all the uh, towns around there and Atwater and Gustine and Livingston and Los Banos and Dos Palos and all those areas that are in Merced County. I, I've heard from many of them that they feel like they're kind of uh, not nobody pays attention to them anymore, and I will be paying attention to them. So uh, lots of events coming up, and uh, I'd really appreciate if people uh, agree with my uh, beliefs and that if they feel that they need a change, and I believe they, that we do need to make a change. One thing that is, is uh, consistent is uh, I haven't met anyone yet that thinks that somebody should be in politics for 42 years like Jim Costey. He's been in state and federal politics for 42 years. And so it's time for a change. Get involved. Uh, get on social media. Promote me on social media. We need signs out. Uh, we need calls made. We're going to win this race. Well, I, I love the enthusiasm, and I, and I hope that people will check your website out. I've been uh, reading it. It's very, very informative. Good. I want to thank Kevin Cookingham, congressional candidate for District 16. The elections are coming up, so uh, please get out there and vote. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Casey.